Well, today on our journey through Joshua, we get to Joshua chapter 12, which concludes uh, this whole series of conquests that we've been going through for the first 11 chapters. And so we get to Joshua chapter 12, it kind of wraps everything up, and then starting in chapter 13, we're going to get into the distribution of lands, uh, which if you remember the video that we had several weeks ago, chapters 13 and on is uh, kind of boring, as they say. <laughs> and so we're going to skip over cha chapter 13 and following, and we're going to skip on to the end, the last couple chapters, and look at Joshua's farewell addresses. We're going to start that next week, spend three weeks there in the last, last few chapters, and then uh, in December we're going to start a series going through the Gospel of Luke uh, with our first Sunday of Advent, December 3rd. Uh, but for today, if you want to be turning to Joshua chapter 12, um, this is a strange chapter uh, to preach. It's a strange chapter to read. Um, it's just a strange chapter all together. And you'll soon discover why if you will open up and look there. Uh, there's two sections to it. The first section uh, lists out two kings that were defeated on the east side of the Jordan and describes how the land was distributed in Moses' time. So Moses, uh, he, they defeated these two kings on the eastern side of the Jordan and distributed that land. And then the, the rest of the section, the second section lists out 31 kings uh, that Joshua and the Israelites defeated on the west side of the Jordan. And so we're going to try to read through some of this, starting in chapter 12, verse 1. Um, and I will probably skip over a few of the names because they don't really mean anything to us right now. But we will talk about the significance of these in just a moment. Joshua chapter 12, starting in verse 1. These are the kings of the land whom the Israelites had defeated and whose territory they took over east of the Jordan. From Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon, including all the eastern side of Arabah. And then verse 2 starts to describe the king of the Amorites and his territory, the region that he had, and he is defeated. He ruled over, in verse 3, he ruled over the eastern Arabah from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea. So if you can visualize a map here, this is just describing the boundaries of these different kingdoms. Okay, so, so the important thing is there's a king with a kingdom and he is defeated. And then verse 4, there's the territory of Og, one of the last of the Rephites who reigned in these other places. Okay, so we've got this other king. Now, if you will go back and, and look through uh, the, the books leading up to Joshua, you're going to see stories of Moses and the Israelites defeating these kings and the territories they have, okay? So then verses 5 and following describe the borders of that territory. And then verse 6, Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Israelites conquered them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to be their possession. Okay, so the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are the ones that received this land on the eastern side of the Jordan. Now, if you remember through the first 11 chapters of Joshua, who is called to bear arms with everyone else 
as they cross the Jordan to take the western territories. The Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They already have their land on the eastern side of the Jordan. And they continue to fight for the territories on the western side of the Jordan. So those first six verses are describing things that already happened with Moses before we even get to the book of Joshua. This is, this is them remembering and redefining and, and, and saying, here are the territories that were defeated. Here are the kings that were defeated. Then verse 7, here's a list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan. So now here we get into the story of Joshua. They cross over the Jordan. They go into the west, western banks and they defeat these kings. Verse 8, the lands included the hill country, the western foothills, the Arabah, the mountain slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev. These are, were the lands of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. These were the kings, and now there's a list of 31 kings and the cities that they were kings of. And we won't read through all of those. And so we have here just this accounting chapter. Here are the territories, here are the boundaries, here's the map. Here are the names of the kings, the names of the cities, the areas that they have taken over. So this really is not a very exciting chapter. <laughs> this isn't one that is full of drama. It's not something that we can act out. It's not something that has this great visual like the, the story of Jericho where we can actually pull out uh, a shofar and blow the shofar in, in accentuation of the story. I mean, this story is boring. Uh, this is something that you want to skip over. This is something you don't want to read. I didn't even read all of it. And so why don't we just skip it? It's kind of like reading genealogies, right? Just move past that chapter in your reading plan and on to the next one. That's how I feel about this chapter. I'm reminded of uh, in fifth grade, I was doing Bible Bowl competition, and we had the great uh, fortune of having Joshua as one of our uh, topics. We had to memorize all these places and all these names. They didn't do me much good. <laughs> I don't remember them. So why are we talking about this? Why, why not just skip into something a little bit more interesting? This is an important transitional chapter. This is a chapter that is, it's not introducing any new narrative. It's a review of previous narrative. It's a review of what's been happening. Not just for this generation, but, but previous. It's what's happened with Moses. It's what's happened with Joshua. It's defining the land and defining what has been conquered. And we see in this transitional chapter some important theological truths about who God is and what he's up to. And so we need to pause and reflect on who God is. As we've gone through uh, these 12 chapters of Joshua, we've seen these battles, we, we have seen them defeating kings, and here we just have a list, a laundry list of what has been accomplished. Now, as we think about this land of Canaan that they are moving into, it's important to think about what a king is. A king is, in this 
in this region was somebody who had lo- a local kingdom or a city-state. These are not kings of, of massive countries. These are kings of cities. They're kings of, of small little regions. But even though they were just kings and rulers of these cities, they, they still had a very lavish lifestyle, for the time at least. And so they would have these lavish lifestyles, often an extravagant palace, and all of it was at the cost of the people. So there was the ruler. There was the king. And the people were required to serve this king. There was this social hierarchy headed by the kings and the most powerful. And it dominated the daily lives of the people. Their existence was dependent on the king, and they were required to serve the king. There were demands placed on the ordinary people to support these royal households. There were uh, demands of taxes, of labor, of military draft, serving this king. And so this is the world that they were living in. In the Old Testament, Moses... And then later, Samuel, both in their farewell addresses, talk about the importance of not having a king. Or warnings of what would happen if you have a king. Kings are not good. And some of the, some of the warnings included things like drafting sons into the military, or drafting daughters into serving in the royal palace, or demanding that the best produce or the best products are are given to provide for the royal household there's taxes and taxes and taxes there is enslavement there's a lack of reverence for god there is a a a fear of having multiple foreign born wives for the royal family as samuel describes this he says the king will take the king will take which means there will be victims to the taking If the king is taking for his purposes and for his power and for his control, then others are having to give something up. And so this can be a pretty grim picture of the lands of Canaan that the people are moving into. On a little bit more lighter note, I think of Simba from The Lion King, who just can't wait to be king. And he sings this great song and, and dances around and talks about how wonderful it will be to be king. And he is going to be a mighty king, so enemies beware. Be aware. You've never seen a king of beasts with quite so little hair, is the response. And so he continues to go on about how great of a king he will be because he's brushing up on looking down and working on his roar. Because this is what a king does. The king looks down on those that he leads and he works on his roar. No one's saying do this. No one's saying be there. No one's saying stop that. No one's saying see here. And so Simba's got it all right, right, (laughs) of what it means to be king, one that is up above everyone else, one that has all the power, one that has all of the control, and uses that for their own selfish purposes. And so these are the kings of the land, the kings that the Israelites are coming in 
to defeat. And so this is the backdrop in which Joshua is being written, in, the, in, the which, in which this narrative is unfolding. And so really the first 11 chapters, and now we see summarized in chapter 12, we're seeing this, this picture of this larger contest between human kings and their oppressive rule of people and a king who is defeating all of them. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true king who comes in and frees the people of the oppression that is over them. And so the list of defeated kings is this memorialization of the end of Canaan's corrupt, oppressive social system. This, this corruption, this this oppression of people. And it is the triumph of Israel's king. God is deposing the unjust kings. He is clearing the land of injustice. Job chapter 34 talks about this. Job 34 verse 17 says, Can someone who hates justice govern? This is an attack on human kings. Will you condemn the just and mighty one? Is he not the one who says to kings, You are worthless, and to nobles, you are wicked? God is saying to the kings, You are worthless. The ones that have all of the value, all of the worth in this society are now being called worthless by God. And to the nobles, to the ruling class, he's saying, you are wicked. You show par um, he shows no partiality to princes and does, no favor, does not favor the rich over the poor. For they are all like the work of his hands. It says, without inquiry, he shatters the mighty and sets up others in their place. He punishes them for their wickedness where everyone can see them. They caused the cry of the poor to come before him so that he heard the cry of the needy. And so we see here this picture, God hearing the cry of the people, hearing the cry of the needy, hearing the cry of the oppressed, and punishing the wealthy, for their oppression of the people. And so we see this picture in Joshua where the kings are being dethroned for their wickedness and for their oppression of people. The rulers are the ones who are supposed to be providing for the people. They're the ones who are supposed to be listening to the people and caring for the people. And God has harsh judgments for those rulers who ignore the voice and ignore the need of the people. And so at the end of chapter 12, we have this list of defeated kings. And in verse 24, it says 31 kings in all. There's 31 kings that are defeated by the God of Israel, the king of Israel. But are all kings gone? Not all kings are gone. There is one king left. God of Israel. 
the almighty King Yahweh, Israel's God. And this is why Psalms 47 declares, For God is the king of all the earth. God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. This is who we sing to, the king of all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. All of these kings, these 31 kings that are defeated, they all belong to God. And we praise him for it. And so in Joshua, we have this, this movement of God as he, as he is moving in and, and dethroning kings that have ignored the cries of their people, who have led in, in terrible ways, who have ignored God and ignored the people. And so he sets himself up as king of kings. And so we hear this king of kings, and what do we think of? We fast forward to the, the New Testament and ask the question, does God still reign as king? Jesus enters into the scene, announcing the long-awaited kingdom of God. He is the messianic king that they had been waiting for, the one that they had been looking for. He is the supreme king. And according to Revelation 19, 16, it says he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. This is how God rules. That there are rulers that have been oppressing the people and leading the people astray. And Jesus comes in as this incredible message of hope to the oppressed. Luke chapter 4 gives us this mission statement of Jesus. As he goes into the synagogue and, and quotes Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners to, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus comes into this place where there is oppression from the ruling class, where the kings and the rulers and, and those with power are neglecting the needs of the people. They are oppressing the people. And Jesus comes in and says, I am proclaiming freedom for them. He comes in as a very different king. One that is coming in and, and dethroning those in power. In December, we're going to start a series in the Gospel of Luke. And one of the themes that we will see through Luke is this, this attitude toward power that Luke has. That, that as, as the story unfolds, as the narrative unfolds, there is this emphasis on God's favor and mercy to those who have been excluded, to those who have been left out, to those who have been at the bottom of the social hierarchy. And it starts with this magnificent song of Mary. 
this young girl at the bottom of the social structure who sings, my soul glorifies, my soul magnifies. And why? Why does she bring such glory to God? The rest of the song says this. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's verse 2 and 3 of the song that we don't sing. And so here is Mary declaring why God is king and what kind of king he is. And so we're going to explore through the Gospel of Luke of, of just the kind of king Jesus is. What he has come to do and what he is up to. But we get this sneak peek here in this, this incredible story of Mary and this song that she sings. That he is coming in to totally turn the social structure upside down. That those who are at the bottom are now elevated to the top. And those that are at the top, those kings and those rulers and those authorities who are in this oppressive place of power, these are the ones that need to watch out. These are the ones that are being punished and condemned by God. And so I look forward to spending this time in Luke as we look at the story of Jesus through this lens of power and authority, power and privilege. Jesus comes in as Messiah. He comes in as king. But he is not the earthly king that ignores the cries of his people. He's not the, earth, the earthly king that ignores us, that doesn't hear us, that oppresses us, that, that binds us. He is something else. And so I've got a short video clip here describing who the king of kings is. Let's watch this now. Says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. 
philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. And so that is my king. The king that comes in and completely turns upside down everything that we think about. About power and privilege. One who comes in and saves us in ways we can't even imagine. Loves us in ways that are indescribable. And so when we look at something as mundane and difficult to read as chapter 12, we see a God who is moving on behalf of his people. And he does that for us today. And it gives us a hope for the future. It gives us an anchor to our soul that we have a king who rules with complete authority. And so we can join with the masses of Revelation 19 who declare, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him the glory. We give Him the glory. Paul introduces his letter to Timothy with now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. 
Amen. This is the king that we serve. I wonder if you know him. And so will you choose the kings of our world today? Will you choose the earthly things? Will you choose the fleshly things? Will you choose the things that fight for the thrones of our hearts? Or will you choose King Jesus? Will he be the Lord of your life? Will he be king of your life? We see in the first 11 chapters of Joshua that, that God is punishing those that are corrupt. But he also shows great mercy and compassion for those who turn to him. For the Rahabs, for the Gibeonites, for the ones who will declare that God is God. He is king. And so we have this great opportunity to come into the throne room of God and declare him as king of our lives and celebrate him. And so I want to invite you into a time of prayer, a time where you can, can reflect on what's going on in your heart. What are the things that you have set up as idols, things that you worship and you have not allowed God to be sinner where you have allowed other things to creep in to your priorities, allowed other things to take priority. What are those things that you need to surrender so that Jesus is the King of kings and there are no other kings of your life? And so this is a time of prayer. This is a time of response. You can, can pray individually. You can sing uh, with us. You can uh, come down and pray with one of the shepherds. You can join together as a life group, as a family, as friends, and pray for one another and encourage one another. Remind one another that we have this great and almighty king who rules over everything. Let's pray together. God, you are king eternal. You are king immortal. You are king invisible. And we give all honor to you and all glory to you. God, where do we do not submit to you and where we do not uh, submit to your rule over our lives, uh, we pray that we will surrender those things now. God, we confess that you are our king. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.